Lord Almighty, we come to the beautiful, wonderful words of life, and we ask that you would open them to us, God, so that we would know you, so that we would understand who you are and what you are saying to us, so that we will be the men and women of God you have created us to be. Bless us, Jesus, now as we look at your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dorothy, scared to death that she missed her only chance to get back to Kansas with the great and wonderful Wizard of Oz, was reassured by the good witch Glenda that she had already had all she needed to return to the home that she had run away from. What were they? Her ruby red slippers. Come on, you guys. You're not awake. If, if you didn't get that, you're not awake. We got to wake up here. It's okay. You got John 3.17. That's right. Amen. Okay, I'll be quiet. Uh, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. This sermon could be called in reference to that. There's no place like the Bible. Because there is nothing else that you need in order to get home. One of my all-time favorite passages in this regard is 2 Peter chapter 1, where Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which his own glory and excellence, he has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them, through these precious and very great promises, you and I may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. My friends, the Bible is what you need today. The Bible is what you need tomorrow. And the Bible will be what you need until the Son itself is a long, almost forgotten, distant memory. There is, in fact, no place like the Bible because there is nowhere else that we can find the way home and the way of the journey that you and I must take while we are remaining farther from home than even Charlotte, North Carolina, where I was enjoying yesterday. While remaining so far from home, what you and I need is someone to guide us. Someone who knows where we are and knows how to get where we are going. You and I need an authority. Someone that we can trust on our very long journey home through very dark days that we are in today. The authority of Scripture what we mean when we talk about the fact that the Bible has authority over believers is that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve any word of Scripture 
is to disbelieve and or disobey God. And my friends, we are living in a culture where for the last 250 years, we have been working on developing a a culture that is allergic to certainty and even more allergic to authority. And as for sufficiency, what? Our culture is sick indeed. But you and I must not we must always not only distrust the bias of our our culture against things like authority and sufficiency and certainty, but we must also distrust even some of our own motives if we are going to be successful in finding our way home. And that is where the Bible comes in if we are going to be successful in finding our way homes, it is only going to be because we have trusted in the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture to measure our own hearts, our own motives, in ways that we can't even fully understand. Because that is the tool that God uses to shine His light on us. And so... With regards to this, and with regards to even our own motives for trying to make our own way home, it has occurred to me many times over the years, if only I could have been there. If only I could have been there when Israel crossed through the Red Sea. If only I could have witnessed Lazarus coming out of the tomb. I reason in my mind, I would have such greater, such much greater faith if I could have been there. Perhaps. But as far as we know, only two people out of everyone who witnessed the miracle at the Red Sea actually made it into the Promised Land. And we know that most of the respected religious leaders who witnessed Lazarus coming out of the tomb immediately plotted to kill Jesus. My friends, God's word is better than being there. The Bible is what you need today, it's what you need tomorrow, and it will be what you need till the sun is a distant memory. Truly, and for many reasons, the authority found in the Bible means that God's word is better than being there. I want to read kind of a long passage, but I want you to stay with me because it will help you to understand why God's word is better than having been at these different things happening. Second Peter, same chapter, chapter 1, but verse 16. Peter says, For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh man, I just love that phrase. When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Read Mark. Anyways, that's a side note. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves... 
Peter is saying, heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. He's talking about the time of the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah were with him and Peter, James, and John witnessed this. And talk about an awesome thing to see. Talk about having been there, right? This is his answer, verse 19. And we have the prophetic Word, God's Word, the Bible, more fully confirmed even than that ecstatic experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, To which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter is saying here that The Bible is the work of both individuals who experience God in the stories that they tell, and it is the work of God himself who is working through the scriptures to ensure that you and I get what we need to be the men and women of God that he has created us to be. In fact, to be those men and women of God that he describes as in the very beginning of his chapter, as having everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. And here, in one of the most amazing stories of the Gospels, Peter, James, and John seeing with their own eyes Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, Peter says, nah, we got something better. We have something more sure, verse 19. The prophetic word to which... Don't miss this. You would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. If all you had was one lamp in a dark room, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, you will do well to pay attention. This is old-fashioned speak for, be quiet and listen to me. Peter was being a little more polite, but he had the same intent. You and I need God's word because we live in a very dark place. The United States of the 21st century. But you know what? It's even worse than that. It's worse than that because the culture that you swim in, that you breathe in around you has infected you more than you can even imagine. Your thinking, your affections, meaning those things that you love and those things that you hate, are all off. They're twisted. They are wrong. Yours, I'm talking to us here. I'm not just talking to non-believers. We are wrong in our thinking. Now, I'm not saying that every affection of every person is completely wrong, but it is notoriously difficult to judge ourselves because our heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Even Paul refused to judge his own motives. That is why you and I must be immersed in God's word so that the holy mirror can show your heart truly. So Peter's solution is to draw you further and further into the Bible so that your heart will be enlightened by the dawn of Jesus. Jesus himself. Or as Luke calls him, the sunrise in chapter 178. Paul calls us to Jesus who is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And he is calling us to that person. 
to be the light in our heart and we would do well to pay attention to the Bible until that light is glowing all around. While you and I are traveling to our eternal home, what you and I need is more and more of God's word in our heart so that our heart will be full of light. Then, when the darkness again begins to creep in, you will recognize it immediately and once again submit to the authority of God's and his word. The Bible is what you need today, it's what you need tomorrow, and it's what you will need forever. Because it alone has the authority to guide you in your life. So the question then is, how do we go about living like this in the world we live today? Well, no surprise, no shock. But first and foremost, we need to read God's word in such a way that we imagine ourselves living in the stories that it represents. Read the Gospels. And imagine yourself standing by the road and watching Jesus call Zacchaeus out of the cypress tree. Standing by the, the, the crowd that is going by with the widow of Nain and they're carrying out her son. Imagine yourself being there. When we read like this, we are allowing God to have an influence on how we are actually living. And furthermore, as Pastor James is frequently saying, if the Bible is boring, it's because you're not paying attention. And when you are reading God's word like this, you are paying attention. And then all of a sudden, you know what? God's word is no longer boring. It's life-giving. And just to show you, just to make sure you get this, God himself ensures this promise. He says, God's word speaks to God's people. And I take that from one verse in particular, although it could have used many, John 10, 27, where John records Jesus as having said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now, in this famously misunderstood verse, misunderstood both from the Baptist and from the charismatic side, we find a remarkable promise of God. You can know what you need to know because, as we read at the very beginning in 2 Peter 1, 3, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, I'm not going to get into how we hear God's voice. If you want to know more about that, the sanest book I've ever read on the subject is Hearing God by Dallas Willard. And he does a great job of steering the narrow line between the dispensational unwillingness to believe that God can speak today and the charismatic unwillingness to doubt someone's ability to hear him accurately. Suffice it to say this, if you are willing to listen, if you are willing to put the time and energy into examining God's word and going down into it, understanding what the Bible says, Jesus' promise is that you will hear his voice. And that can be true for you. And that is in part why. 
The Bible is what you need now. It's what you will need tomorrow. And it is what you will need forever. The authority of God's word, my friends, means that you and I must turn to the Bible so that you and I can know God and know ourselves and therefore live as God has designed you to live. So God's word has authority. Now I want to shift gears and I want to get into what do we mean by God's word is sufficient. Wayne Grudem defines sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contained all the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history, and that it now contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting him perfectly, and obeying him perfectly. I think I had a typo there. Um, But anyways, you get the idea. I don't think it was perfectly twice. Trusting him completely and obeying him perfectly. Anyways, again, we repeat our big idea of the day. The Bible is what you need today, tomorrow, until the sun is a distant memory. The first point I want to build on from his definition here is that God's word is always sufficient. Grudem says that the Bible contains all the word of God we need. And I take that from among other places, Deuteronomy 29.29, where it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That way we may do all, um, that we may do all the words of this law. Whenever you read scripture, Always notice that, and you see the that in the second line from the bottom, that we may do all the words of the law. And so we find out two things. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, that we may do all the words of this law, and the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, a quick question comes to my mind. How could it be good that some things remain hidden? Well, my first answer is, I don't know, and for the glory of God. I made that up. We can also say that it must have something to do with the fact that knowing all things would not serve us. If we knew all things, it would not help us in our pursuit of life and godliness. And so we know that God's word is also sufficient because the things revealed are for our benefit that we may do all things, all the things of the law. You don't need Oprah. You don't need Dr. Phil. You don't need Dr. Oz in order to live a flourishing life. In fact, I would go so far as to say if you didn't have them, you would probably stand a better chance of living a flourishing life. Did I just say that out loud? I did. You also don't need the toys or diversions or even barbecues to live a fully actualized life. What you need is God's word. Period. The Bible is what you need today. 
The Bible is what you need tomorrow. And the Bible will be what you need when the sun is a distant, almost forgotten memory. And this brings us to my second point, And that is that God's word is sufficient for living well. Uh, Grudem says that the Bible contains all the words of God we need for trusting him perfectly. I get this from, among other places, 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17, where Paul is describing Timothy, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. I love that. All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, correcting, and uh, I memorized it in a different translation, teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. That the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. And so I have a question about this. What is the good life? What is it that we should be aiming at with this verse 17? I'm not going to go into the many answers that are given, but I will address this question in depth when I get back from my sabbatical. And I'm going to say that the good life is one in which you know God, which is the same thing as loving him and trusting him, better and better living in a glorious tension. I couldn't quite, tension may not be the word that I'm going to land on, of faith, hope, and love. And so then the question is, why are we not living the good life? It is because we are not acquainted with the scriptures as Timothy was from childhood. The scriptures were sufficient for Timothy to be the man of God he was because the scriptures are useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. I use this diagram for explaining this. I think this helps us get a little bit about it. Number one, all scripture is useful for teaching. Every single person needs to be taught from Scripture because none of us know it perfectly. And we are being taught Scripture as we go through life. And then all of a sudden, sometimes we take a nosedive. And what we need at that moment is rebuke. We need to be told that what we are doing in our attitudes or our actions, that we are wrong. The culture is allergic to that today, but you and I must not be. But being rebuked is not enough. Because if we are rebuked, we go backwards. But we also need to be corrected. We need to be put in the right direction. So teaching, rebuking, correcting. We need to say not only do we need to be rebuked, told that what we're doing is wrong, but we need to be shown how to live right. And then as we continue in this life, hopefully we have gone up in the spiral, as the spiral goes like this, and we will be trained in righteousness. Now, this is a description, one of many that are found in the scripture, of what it looks like to be living as a flourishing human being, what it means to live the good life, one who is living the way that he or she was designed to live. Kind of like a bicycle that has its chains and gears all in alignment, powering up Eric Hassett's House of Pain by Kesmalia. Or like a Shimano reel that's reeling in a four-pound bass. 
or like a man who is serving his wife or a wife who is loving her family. Doing and being the kind of person we were made to be. This is what a flourishing life is. And in our case, we are to be those who glorify God by enjoying him forever. And while we remain sinners, while we remain in this strange condition where we cannot fully achieve this flourishing life, we will be in constant need of teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And this does not mean that we have to strive for perfection. It means, in this case, living by grace through faith. And the Bible is what you and I need to live like this. Now, I don't, by saying that, mean to exclude the fact that we need to be powered, empowered by the Holy Spirit and that we need people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit and who are so Bible-saturated that they bleed Bibline as... Um, oh my goodness, his name just fell out of my head. Uh, Charles Spurgeon used to say... Because as Spurgeon would say, the Bible is what you need today, it's what you need tomorrow, and it's what you will need forever. And one last point I want to make, which relates to God's word enables the flourishing life. Look with me at David's word picture that I'm describing as God's word is sufficient for obedience. Or as Grudem said, God's word now contains all the words of God we need to obey him perfectly. Look at this word picture that David uses. He says, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And watch verse 45. He says, and I, having done this, I shall walk in a wide place. For I have sought your precepts. I think this is a beautiful picture of the flourishing life that David is talking about here. Because obedience to God's word enables and equips humans to walk in a wide place. What is a wide place? Well, one image that is not is referring to a narrow place over a giant crevasse that doesn't have a bottom. But it also is a path in which all the healthy choices have not been limited and turned into hard choices because we have not been walking in obedience to God's word. It is a heart-breaking reality that our culture is facing over and over again because our sins lead us into choices that no sane person would wish but are necessary because our sins have brought us onto a very narrow place and there are not very many places we can go. So the flourishing life, the life that we are meant to live, the life that gives us the most healthy choices is that life which is lived in obedience to God's word. A wide space is a place where a person can breathe Do not drink the Kool-Aid of the media today that says, Be free! 
by living according to your rights or to your desires or any other such nonsense. Living by God's word is always the most freeing in very real ways while walking outside of obedience to God's word is limiting in all the important ways of our life today. The Bible is what you need today, tomorrow, until the sun is a distant memory. And most importantly, God's word is sufficient for salvation. Or as God, or, uh, Wayne Grudem put it, the Bible now contains the words of God that we need for salvation. And I I go back once again to my favorite statement we read at the beginning. Peter says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which this calling to His own glory and excellence, He has granted to us His precious and very great promises. It is so that through these precious and very great promises, you and I may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And we glanced a few minutes ago at 2 Timothy 3.15-17, and it is a passage well known among evangelicals that enables us to find Uh, salvation in scripture but I think you already know because Michelle reminded us Mrs. Winger reminded us of why I think it's so important we need to read scriptures because you and I need to trust the promises of God for us in Christ and that's exactly what Peter is describing in verse 4 he says his divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through. How do we get this life and godliness? We get it through the knowledge of him who calls us to his own glory and excellence. How do we get that knowledge? It's right here. This is where we get it. We gain power through knowing him. And he grants us all we need for life and godliness. But Peter explains it even more fully in verse 4. By which... Through this knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you and I may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. It is through trusting God's promises that you and I become partakers of the divine nature. And that we escape from the corruption of the world around us. How do we escape? We escape because we recognize the filth of sinful desire for what it is. We take a bite. And it's worse than dog food. And we spit it out. And the only way we know this, the only way this becomes clear to us, or as we said earlier, the light shines in our hearts. And that light that is shining is Jesus shining through us and for us in our hearts. And so we notice when the icky, creepy, gross stuff threatens to come in. We recognize it. And here the image is us tasting it. And we, we, it's disgusting We recognize it for what it is. Filth. Garbage. And the only way of doing that 
is by getting into God's word and letting it seep into us. By osmosis, we, we saturate ourselves. We sit in a pool of God's word around us all the time. And to the extent that you do this, because you won't do it perfectly, but to the extent that you do it, to that extent you will be blessed. And to that extent you will find God's blessing for your life today, tomorrow, and until the sun is but a distant memory. You see, Dorothy had all that she needed to escape from her dreamland of Oz. You and I have all we need to journey to an even better land and one that is more real than Kansas. Now we can just take and use it by the power of God and put it into practice. Let us pray. Oh Lord, how fun it is to dream of the land of Oz or the land that is over the rainbow. But even better than that, we can look forward to living with you in the real heaven. God, in the meantime, we are not living in Oz and we're not even living in 1930s Kansas either. But God, we are living in the valley of the shadow of death. I pray that you would allow us to have your word so dwell in us that the light will shine in so that we will taste and know the truth. We will understand it. And we will become those who are partakers in the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Guide us, Lord Jesus. Help us to understand your authority and your sufficiency so that we may be pleasing to you and we may be part of expanding your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.